Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Amen. Well, you probably still have your Bible open to uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Well, the title of the message is, What God Wants From You. Sometimes uh, people say, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? I don't know what you want. What do you want from me? <laughs> you know, what do you want? Sometimes a student will say that to the teacher. What do you want? You know, tell me. I'll give it back to you. <laughs> Or a boss, you know, I didn't do it right, what do you want? Tell me, what do you want? Well, God wants something too, you know. And this is all important, so different than a teacher, and maybe it's what he's looking for, she's looking for in a term paper or a final exam paper. God wants something. A number of years ago, uh, I remember so well, the United States Army used the recruit, recruitment slogan, and I used to go to the post office on Saturday morning with my father, uh, and I remember the, uh, the poster stood right out there on a, a billboard in the front of the, the two-story post office in our city, and, and on that billboard was Uncle Sam. And Uncle Sam had a finger pointing, Uncle Sam wants you. How many of you remember that? Anybody else? Oh, look, I thought so, yeah, I was hoping. I'm sure, I'm just sure it was effective in drawing many uh, men and women into military service. Well, somebody wants me? I don't think anybody wanted me. You know, I'll sign up. Where do I sign? You get with those recruiters, right? Right, Bruce? <laughs> there you go. Well, when we ask the question, what does God want from me, from you? Well, the answer is exactly the same. God wants you. He wants you, and he wants all of you, not just Sunday morning, 9.30 to, no. He wants all of you, everything, your time, your talents, your ability, and particularly we're going to look at, he wants your body. You say, it's not much. It's bigger than what it used to be. He wants, the, he wants my body? Yes, we're going to see that. Well, Paul has labored in the first half of this letter. Romans, you know, I remind you, is an epistle. It's a letter. And Paul uh, writes to this church in Rome. Uh, it's a church up to this point he has not had the privilege to visit. He's on his way there. He's wanted to be there. And the Lord had some, uh, what he thought were some short, uh, some, <laughs> some, uh, uh, that's the word, detours. <laughs> Easy for you to say today, right? Detours. I mean, I stood there at Caesarea more than once, and, and you can hear the water coming in, and that's where Paul was two years while he was waiting to go and make his appeal to Caesar. You remember that in Acts? Two years. He could hear the water coming in from the Sea of the Mediterranean, and there was Paul uh, under, under arrest awaiting that. Well, that was a detour. And so Paul writes this letter to the church at Rome. 
there under the shadow of Caesar and the Senate and the center of the universe, so they thought Rome was the cultural, political, economical, economic center of the world at that point, much like people somehow think the United States is that way, and to some extent it, it is. Washington or New York, a lot of competition between the two. D.C., you know, thinks they're the greatest city in the world. They used to have that at Reagan Airport. Welcome to D.C., the greatest city in the world. Wow, there's sounds like Babylon, doesn't it? And then New York City, with all their financial districts and all that, they're the, they're the money center of the world. Well, you know, Rome was like that. They were, they were the great uh, academic, uh, cultural, governance, economic center of the world. Well, there, God was saving people. Isn't that neat? Not all of them, but God was saving them. And Paul wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel and to train them, disciple them as the church planner that he was. And so he writes this, uh, this epistle to the Romans, and uh, he lays out in chapters 1 uh, through, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because I have more of the detail down later, but it is the longest gospel uh, track, if you will, given in the Bible. Now, what, what do you think is the shortest? What's the shortest? Little expression of the gospel in the Bible. What would you say? It's no right or wrong answer, but what do you think? What? Jesus wept. That shows the heart of God. But you all know. You all know the verse I'm thinking of. John 3.16. Yeah, it's called the gospel in the nutshell. Mm -hmm. uh, I heard a, a great Puritan say, or read that recently, you know, uh, if that's all you know, you know enough. And if you know all the rest, go back to John 3.16. Right? That's not bad. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In, in a nutshell, and there are other verses, Barb, you're right on that. There are other verses that express the heart of God in the gospel. But Romans, I would submit to you, in chapters 1 to 8, is the longest, then, expression of the gospel. Paul lays it out, and it's incredible. If you've not studied it, you should in your, your own uh, quiet time, in your study time of the Word day by day. It, uh, it's, it's wonderful. Now, I, I, back years ago, I, spent, I preached 97, I counted uh, my, 97 messages in this book, trying to understand it right and work my way through, and my life is forever changed by that, as will yours be if you, if you study it. Well, um, Paul begins uh, after chapters 1 to 8, and that's the gospel. He deals with the question of the Jew in 9 through 11 of this uh, of this Romans book. But then when he comes to chapter 12, here's the major second portion, if you will, of this book. He begins the practical application of the gospel in the hearts and lives of God's people. It's like the great so what? It's like the great lessons for our life. Okay, Paul, you've been saying all this about the gospel. So what? How does it apply to us? Now, some people get off. They'll say that, well, doctrine's not practical. Well, doctrine, doctrine, that is simply the word for teaching, is immensely practical. There's some churches say, well, we major on practical. Well, your practical better be doctrinal if it's to be any, of any use whatsoever. It's anchored and it's moored into the teaching of God's Word. Okay, so it's wrong to say the first 11 chapters are doctrinal or doctrinal only. 
and the latter portion is practical, they go hand in hand. But he begins at this point, and that's what the word, you see the first word in chapter 12, verse 1, so therefore, the old Bible studies uh, teachers just say, whenever you see the word therefore, please discover why it's there for. In Philadelphia, they always threw end sentences with a flying preposition on the end. Why it's there for. Right there? That's the way they talk in Philadelphia. They do. There are certain nuances around here, and, and maybe that's you, but well, whenever it's there. That's the therefore. That's the bridge. It's the golden gate of all that he said. Now what he's going to say by way of application. He's going to apply it. To start with, he calls us as Christians, that is those of us who have embraced, particularly the first eight chapters of Romans, he calls us, what? Uh, to offer our bodies, as we've already read the text, our lives are all to the Lord. God wants you. Far more important than Uncle Sam. Well, there are, in this little verse, there are four parts of Paul's call uh, urging you and urging me to give all of our lives to God. Four parts. For God made us, and he did. He's our creator. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We think about that as we come around. I saw that on the front page of the Harrisburg paper today, the abortion question again, that uh, uh, we come around to the anniversary of that horrific Roe versus Wade in 1973 and continue to pray that God would change hearts and lives of people so we would stop the, uh, that practice in our country, that of abortion. And uh, God made you. He made me. It's amazing. 20 centuries after Christ. 20. Not really that long if you connect the generations. Not like forever, you know. But here we are, 20 centuries. 1954, my folks gave birth to, to me. I sort of just arrived. I got off the bus. But most of you look like you did as well. It's amazing, uh, the pride of, and the arrogance of man. He gets off the bus he goes to school a little bit, gets a few letters after name, makes such horrific pronouncements like, there's no God, nowhere. Oh, thank you for your opinion, you know. Thank you, please sit down, you know. <laughs> you go like, unbelievable, the arrogance that is bound up in the sinful hearts of men and women intuitively. God made us. More than that, he saved us, right? He's done it. You've not saved yourself. If you think you did, you're not saved. You're still stuck in Galatians. You know, works and faith, how does that work out? And uh, God saved you. He made you. He saved you. But more, you know what? If you are saved, he is changing you. We live in a world that says there's no such thing as change. You are what you are, and that's what it is. You're, you know, you're, you're a criminal, and that's it. There's no hope. Now, you know what? That's not true. Read 1 Corinthians 6. And such were some of you. Uh, great company. We all fit in there. And God's changing us. I see it in my own life. God changing me. Knocking off edges. And making my heart more mellow, more tender. It's Christ in me. It's Christ in you. And I can't wait to see what it's going to look like when I'm done. You won't recognize this guy. But then I won't recognize you. You know, I'm <laughs> like, Wow. 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 And some of the old Puritans, we're three times his then. He made us, he saved us, 
And he's changing us, sanctifying. Sanctifying comes from the Latin. Sanctus, holy. Greek is akios. He's making us holy. He's making us like Christ. Conformed to the image from the inside out. We're not talking externals here. Inside out. Any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. Our values, the way we live our lives, the way we view our money, our talents, our children, our grandchildren, everything is his. Well, it's all his. Four parts of Paul's call urging us to give all our lives to God. Here they are. It's simply, the re- he gives a request, the first part, the re- reasoning, a rationale, the response, and the results. Well, number one, the request. Give your life to the Lord. That's what it is. He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Paul now begins to apply the truth that he's been teaching in this letter. He is speaking to those who have received Christ Jesus as Lord. He's not talking to unbelievers. It's a reminder again that the Bible is not the book for the world. It's family mail. It's God's word to his children. I urge you, who's the you? The believers there at Rome and to us 20 centuries later. What? Offer your bodies. He calls us to this. Uh, And I urge you. Paul likes that word. He used it in uh, Ephesians 4.1. Same word as he urges the Ephesian believers and, and us. Well, B, we're to be what? Living sacrifices. Some say that's paradoxical. It's not. It may sound contradictory, but uh, it certainly is not. There are a lot of things like that. You know, there are a lot of things that are mysterious. We don't know very much. What we do know, we tend to forget if we don't use it, right? There are a lot of mysteries. Like what? Things that seem like paradoxes. Like what? How about the Trinity? We have a little bit of an idea what the Trinity is. But to say that, no, I got that, I understand that fully, you're dreaming. You explain three and one. One God, three persons, all equal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have always been, yet we see that's the ontological, that's a big word, that's the essence of the Trinity, and yet for purposes of creation and salvation, there is a subordination. The Son to the Father, and the Spirit to the Son and to the Father. You explain it. I can't. But God reveals it. And what God has revealed is truth. And he, God is, if we're to know God, we would know some things of creation, and we certainly do. But if we're to know more in detail, God has to self-disclose, and that's what he has done in the Word. But it seems paradoxical, doesn't it? It seems contradictory. But it's not. We, and we receive it by faith. And we see it, don't we? At uh, the Lord's baptism, the Spirit of God descends on the second person, the Lord standing in the water, and the Father speaks. There they all. This is my beloved Son. And there they are. Well, this is like that. When we are to offer, we are to offer uh, living sacrifices... Uh, though it sounds like a contradiction, a paradox, it really isn't. Uh, in our ears, we're used to that expression, so it doesn't strike us so dramatically, maybe. You see, in the Old Testament, the sacrifices, the animals that, that were brought to the, to the priest, 
And uh, when they were brought, there would be the confession of sin. The word here that is used, the same one that's used in the, the Septuagint, the, uh, the Greek copy of the Old Testament, they used the word, it was the burnt offering, which was the total uh, consumption of the animal. They would bring a goat to the priest from their flock, and there were times when they would lay their hand on the head of that animal, and they would confess their sin. You see, there was transference there, symbolically. And then that animal was taken by the priest, and its throat was cut, and the blood was drained. And if it was the burnt offering of the Leviticus gives all the offerings in our Old Testament, it was totally burned and consumed on the fire. So to offer a sacrifice meant death. And that's why I say it appears to be a contradiction. We're to offer living sacrifice, like living dead, or dying we live. And that's why it sounds sort of like an oxymoron, if you will. But uh, it's not. It's not, as we shall see what Paul is saying. Uh, the substitution occurred. I already said that, and the animal was put to death. Well, Jesus, the Lamb of God, and all of these you know, and especially Hebrews teaches us, these, the blood of bulls and goats and all the sacrifices were God's way of teaching what? Substitution, that sin required death, that ultimately and finally found their fulfillment in the Lamb of God. That's what John is saying in his opening chapter of the Gospel of John. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, that clicked to these Old Testament folks that were sacrifice filled their life. Offerings, there was never an end to it, never an end to it, never an end to it. And so Paul is now saying you're to be, you're to offer yourself as a living sacrifice uh, would really grab their heart and mind. You see, the Lord was this Lamb of God, gave his life as a sacrifice for sin. He died for us to provide salvation. And now, here's what he's saying, you and I are to live for him. It's to be like that wonderful verse in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. Living is Christ. It is, that's what he's saying. And we'll see it more and more. Well, see, this offering means that we are to continually give our whole life, our bodies, to the one who saved us. We are to live as though we are dead to our own desires, our own ambitions, our own dreams. I put down Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Paul is saying the same thing a little bit differently in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Offer your bodies to Christ. That's what he wants. We say, what does God want from me? Pastor, it's a brand new year. We saw, first of all, the great commandment for a new year. We saw that. We're to love the Lord with all our, our, uh, our heart, our soul, and our mind. And we saw safety from Psalm 91 last week. Where, where's the safety in this dangerous world? But now, after we receive the gospel, and we have, and we go like, what does God want from me in this year? 
He wants you to offer as if it were an altar and say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. I offer myself. You want me? It's hard to imagine. Me? Little me? Sinful me? Wonderfully redeemed? It's hard to imagine. What does God want from you? He wants you. He wants me. That's what he's saying here. We're to not have our own separate desires, dreams, and ambition. We are to say, Lord, what is it you want to do in and through me? From this day forth until you take me home, until Jesus comes. This is what we are to do. That's what God wants from you. And yet, I've read one man, and I quote, it is by dying to our own desires in order to serve Christ that we actually learn to really live. You know that? It's true. And if we do this, we will be the happiest of people. A full and rewarding life will be yours. And don't we long for that? Lord, I want to have a meaningful life. I want a life that counts. I want to look back and be filled with all sorts of regrets. We all have some regrets, but not to be filled with regrets. If you'll do this, you'll have less, and you'll be happy, and you'll be blessed, and you'll be a blessing. You will be. I promise you that. And so Jesus is, is really calling us in these words. He's uh, called us in his words uh, to be disciples. And Look at, uh, a couple of verses we want to look, look at Luke 9. Yeah, most of you know this, the sense of this verse if you've not memorized it, but um, this, this really says it in 9.23 where the Lord talked about the cost of discipleship and following him. And that's what you're doing, you know. If you're saved, you're following him. If you say you're saved but you're not following him, guess what? You're not saved. <laughs> you're not we battle sin, that's true. But uh, you're following him. And if you're in sin, you're following too far off. You know, it's like the kids, uh, don't you love that at the mall? No, I don't love the mall at all. But when you see at the mall occasionally, these rubber bands these mothers have with their kids, you get a real active kid and it's wrapped around his wrist or around his waist or something, and he goes running off there and he goes so far off. And all of a sudden, he snaps, and he comes flying back to his mind. (laughs) Some of you have wandered off. Get back. Snap back. And get close. You're following Christ. And and, and the Lord's words here in Luke 9, 23. Let me read these. And then he, that's Jesus, said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. That's exactly what Paul is telling us here in offering our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. A little story is told about this uh, girl uh, in in a church service one Sunday. The offering plate uh, was being passed. And it came to the little girl at the end of the row, and she did something really odd. She took the plate and put it down on the floor, and she proceeded to stand it. And when the usher was horrified, he <laughs> said, what in the world are you doing, little girl? What are you doing? What are you doing? She said, I just learned in Sunday school that 
I was supposed to give myself to God, and I wanted to do that. Well, that, that's good. That's good. That girl had it just about right. Now, the, another man writes, the only problem with living sacrifices is, is they have a tendency to keep crawling off the altar. <laughs> we have to be careful about that, right? I mean, that old bent within us. Don't you hate it? I do. I hate it. Well, there's a second part. Not only the request, give your life to the Lord, but the second is the rationale or the reasoning. Reasoning. Do this because of what God has done for you. That's what he's saying. Therefore, I urge you, Pericoleo, he's calling us, brothers, they're Christians, in, here it is, therefore, in view of God's mercy. What in the world does that mean? Well, Paul tells us. He tells us why, because God has been merciful to us. In other words, in view of God's mercy, he just summarized the whole book of Romans up to this point. Chapters 1 to 8, dealing with, uh, with, uh, with the world and all people everywhere. You know, you read chapters 1 to 3 in that, and the whole world ends up lost. There's a teaching that all people everywhere go to heaven, universal. That's false. The Bible never teaches that. The place that only existed is in unrepentant, hard-hearted men and women who, who uh, despise the teaching of God's Word. Never. Never. The whole world is lost. You were born lost. I know you're beautiful. You smell good today. You look good. You were born lost. I mean, sometimes when our children are born, we say, doctor, you know, or to the nurse, is the baby okay? You know, they do those testing when the baby's born. Are they okay? Oh, the baby's okay. Beautiful little boy. Beautiful little girl. The reality is, that's not the full story, is it? Let me tell you, Mom and Dad, there's bad news here. Really? What is it? They have your sin nature, and they're born lost. We are by children. We are by nature, by birth, the children of wrath. And Paul lays that out. The moral man, the Jewish man, the pagan man, the educated man or woman, lost, lost, without hope. And then he goes on in chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7, and walks through those doctrines, those big terms, justification, sanctification, and how God has worked on our behalf. We weren't good. We weren't sick. We were dead and lost. And therefore, God had to do it all. It's not me and Jesus. You'll never sing that. Me and Jesus, aren't I lucky? Aren't I smart? I realized I needed Christ. No, no. He found you, and you were going fast the wrong way. And he found you, and he found me too, to his glory, to his praise. That's what Romans 4 through 8 are all about. It unfolds God's great plan, his mercy. That's what it is, in view of God's mercy. All the kindness that God has showed us. Uh, Those of us who really, as lost sinners, deserve hell and under God's wrath. Well, number two, the Lord made the only way for salvation. He did everything. Everything that needed to be done, he provided it for us. It's a finished work. Rightfully so, when you study 
uh, world religions, as it were, all of them can be put in two categories, and most of you know this. They can be either in the category of doing, and that's most of them. We saw it over in Qatar. All sorts of doings to try and please some sort of God, Allah, who never existed ever. Doing, trying to merit some sort of, of goodness before a God, so that when they die, that uh, heaven will be theirs. Doing, 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 doing. That's one category. The second is biblical Christianity. It's finished. It's done. Don't you like something that's done? You like working all the time? I like when it's finished. Jesus said on the cross, Tetelestai, it's finished. It's a finished work. He paid it all. The price. He did it totally. In 1 Peter, look at that. I want you to look at a couple verses today. Look at first Peter's take on that whole thing. Peter who loved the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about our being purchased. Do you know you've been bought? You've been bought and uh, redeemed. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For Peter writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed means to be purchased from the empty way of life handed down to you from your fathers. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb, who was without blemish or defect. He was perfect. You were purchased with the blood of Christ. You were redeemed. Now, the word redemption there reminds us of the slave market, where you would go down in the ancient day in Rome, and there were slaves of all sorts, some of them were conquered people, and they would bring them in, and uh, you, could, uh, you could buy them. You could buy a slave. And they would come into your house. Some of them were very well educated. Some of them were doctors and lawyers. Some of them were teachers. Some worked in the fields. Some did the crafts and things around your, your home. You could purchase them. You bought them with a price to be redeemed. It's the language of the marketplace. And, and, and he is saying you've been redeemed. And that's another way of just saying, therefore, because in view of God's mercies, God made you and he saved you and he's redeemed you, he's purchased you, you're not really your own. Well, look at B then. So Paul tells us in view of this, fact that uh, we are redeemed, that it's only reasonable for us to have received the forgiveness, who have received the forgiveness of sins, it's only reasonable for us to give all that we are and all that we have to him. It's only reasonable. Now, in the NIV of this verse, there's one word I don't like the way they translated it. You see it there, it says, this is your spiritual act of worship. It's not the word pneumatos at all. King James had this far better. It's, it's reasonable. It's your reasonable service, King Jim puts it that way. And he's, that's far better. It's the word logios, or the word logic that comes to us. It's, uh, in other words, we, we think about this. Wait, God made me. He 
bought me, he saved me, he's making me like Oh, well, it's only, since he purchased me, it's only reasonable that I say, Lord, here am I. Like the little girl jumping into the offering plate. And nothing could be less reasonable than that. Right? That's what he's saying here. It's reasonable. Because we've been bought with a price uh, to give our all. Everything that we are to give it to the Lord. That 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Look at that verse. I'm giving you a little bit of a workout today in your Bible. That's okay. I don't want you to get lazy. 6, 19 and 20. Look what he, Paul says to the Corinthians. We're extremely uh, immoral. I mean, they struggle with all kinds of things as Christians. Paul writes in 19 and 20, Do you not know? Your body is the temple, that is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. He's saying the same thing. You were bought at a price. You were redeemed. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You see, he's saying the same thing there. Same thing. So, the request, give your life to the Lord, the reasoning, why should we do this? Because of what God has done for us in view of his mercies. Uh, and we see that lived out even in the life of a, of a great missionary. Some of you will know the name David Livingston. who uh, He was a renowned and uh, outstanding missionary to Africa. He wrote in his journal this little bit I found, and I quote, People talk of sacrifice that I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt that I owe God? I can never call that a sacrifice. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward of healthful activity, the conscientiousness of doing good, peace of mind, bright hope of a glorious heaven to follow? Away with such a word, sacrifice. Away with it. What a thought. It is emphatically Livingstone said, no sacrifice at all. I say rather, it is my privilege. And he's right. He's right. Well, the third part of Paul's call urging you and me to give all of our lives to the Lord in this, today and in this brand new year, the response. We are specifically told how to make this offering. How are we to do it, Paul? You say do it. Well, how? Well, he tells us in two words. You see the word sacrifices? The words are on either side of it. The first word, our offering is to be living. It is to be living. We are to give all of our life, the totality of it, uh, to the Lord. That is our bodies. Um, uh, Paul, and I'll take you to one more passage. Just go back a few chapters to chapter 6, because he really lays it out in... We, Hollywood says technicolor, I guess, or they used to. In Romans 6, 13. How do we do that? How is this living sacrifice? What do you mean, Paul? Well, very specifically, if you name the name of Christ, verse 13, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments um, of wickedness. Rather, but rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from forth from death to life, offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master. Well, what do you mean, Paul? 
Well, here's, here's a listing. You could have given a listing too, but your, I mean, it involves uh, your, memory, your mind. A lot of times we, we think, well, our mind's not our body. I got news for you. It's, it's <laughs> some folks act like they're mindless, but it's really something's up there. That gray matter, offer your mind, your brain, your thoughts to the Lord. Um, that's the battleground. I know, George, you and Jenny are reading that book, a similar title to that. Tim LaHaye wrote a book on that. The mind is the battle. And that, that's right. Uh, and, we, and we'll see that even more next week as we look at uh, verse 2 of this passage where we're called to stop doing what we've been doing. The mind. We're to offer our minds to the Lord. So how do we do that? Well, you know, uh, be, a, be a thoughtful person. We live in a world. Be careful uh, what you read. You know, read widely, but uh, perhaps you... You get caught up reading books that have really no, we'd say, spiritual value. Well, balance that out. Read some of the great Christian biographies and read some of the great uh, other uh, outstanding missionary books and things. Balance that out. So it's not all one way. You're filling your mind with things that, uh, that uh, are one-sided. It's good to be broad. And, and all truth, if it's truth, is God's truth. I, I'm not saying anything other than that, but balance that out. If you watch uh, a TV programs, make sure they're good. Put Philippians 4, maybe a little banner over the TV, whatever things are pure and right and true. Think on these things. You know, that's what goes in at GIGO. Remember that? Some of the early computer, garbage in, garbage out. We're to yield our instruments to God, our minds, our thought process. We're to do that. And, uh, and, and, and God is calling us to do that. Love them with that. Well, our eyes and our ears. We're to balance what we read and watch and listen to. Be careful on that. Our eyes, aren't they wonderful? I was thinking, what a glorious God we have. He's so beautiful. Not only in his qualities, and the psalmist talks about that, but beautiful in appearance. Beauty, the beauty, to behold the beauty of the Lord. That'll be some of the the beatific vision, that'll be ours. The pure in heart shall see God. That's where that comes from. Beatific, part of the Beatitudes. And when we see God, it'll be, like, it'll be so overwhelming to us, the beauty. God is the author of beauty, the beauty in the world that we enjoy. I mean, I was thinking this morning in my prayer, it, the world could all be black and white, like those old pho- photographs, remember? Everything black and white. You know, like there were, uh, really, there was much more color there, but the old photographs are black and white. But God has given us the, uh, the receptivity and the, and the powers of the, of the brain and the eye and all that to see the color hue of the rainbow and to see it expressed and the beauty of that. Well, the creator is greater than what's created. God is beautiful, and he has given us uh, the aesthetics and the appreciation of beauty and wonder, and, and we ought to thank God for such precious gifts of, of, of sight and hearing. And It's phenomenal to me. Be careful about that. What you watch, what you listen to, be careful about that. Give your body to the Lord and, and say, well, I, 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 should, I shouldn't be looking at this. My eyes are the Lord's. Turn that computer off. Stop reading that magazine. Stop uh, doing and listening. And, and that I, I shouldn't be listening. Cut people off. You say, well, I don't want to be rude. Cut them off. If they're saying gossip or say, say listen, I, I don't want to hear any more of this. I belong to the Lord. I don't want to hear that. And shut them off. Most people don't do that, you see. I, 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 I have a sin bed here. I Please, it doesn't need another log on my fire. 
You know, keep that stuff away from me. I'm, I'm fighting a good fight, and, and sometimes uh, I need help. So please don't do that. How about the, our tongues? Oh, boy, there you go. That one-pound member in your mouth and mine. Woo, that slippery, snaky guy there, right? It's about one pound. You ever see a, a, a cow's tongue at the grocery store? Anybody eat that stuff? Please stop. Some of you do. You're amazing. I don't know. Don't have that if I ever come by. I don't know if I could stomach that. How about that? Stomach the tongue? I don't know how that works. But yeah, You eat that part? You just kind of cut that up and fry it up? And Ramona, you cook, you cook all that stuff? Huh? Do you? I know Pop used to love, uh, what was that stuff he liked in the morning? Scrapple. If you like Scrapple, I don't, don't ever tell me, so I'm sure we've eaten tongue. I'm sure we've done that. Am I right on that? <laughs> That's probably, you're right, Larry. Yeah, really, yeah, I never liked it mushy, you know, like pop, make it crispy. I don't want to even think about it, you know. But our tongue, you know, use it to, to edify. Our tongues belong to the Lord. Don't be flapping in the wind. Read James on the tongue. It sets enormous forest fires all the time. Oh, it'll split churches, ruin lives. It, this, Satan is the, is the uh, diabolus. Uh, he's the accuser of the brethren. He's, uh, he, and, and the tongue, oh, that's just one of his favorite weapons. Don't you be a part of that. And we all have been a part. Lord, forgive us. Help us from this point. Lord, I give my tongue to you. May it bless all that I meet. May I use it for witnessing and sharing the gospel. May, may I use it to pray and enjoy that fellowship with you. Never to slander, never to curse. You know, and if you find yourself cursing, and God saved a lot of you out of some backgrounds, all of us out of some, we all have a background, right? And, and, and you find yourself still, you know, even Christian swearing or cursing, say, Lord, deal with me on this thing. Deal with me. There's a, it's not this guy's problem, really. We, we point at the top. It's a hard problem. Say, Lord, root that out. It shows me there's still a lot more work you need to do in me. And help me not to respond to that way. Even in traffic. And I say, there's the, there's the test of sanctification. Same to you, fella. That shouldn't be coming from you. You say that? No finger gestures. Any of that kind of thing. And we all come from that. And it's natural to want to beat the daylights out of someone that hurts you or hurts your family. Get over here, you know? Uh, and we say things we ought not to say. God, I give my tongue to you in my heart. How about our hands and our feet? The Bible tells us over and over, we're to work with, it, with our hands. You know, there's joy in that. We're to, the, you read the Ecclesiastes. I mean, the God has given what? Eat, enjoy life with your wife, drink, and find joy in your work. You know, you'd be a mess if you didn't work. I know we hate to go to work, right? We love schools out forever, vacation, you know, we still, you know, go like, yeah. You would be a mess if you didn't have, if you didn't have something to do, you'd be a mess. You'd get in all sorts of trouble. You would. My phone would be ringing a whole lot more. I'd have to go down and bail you out or something. You know, really, find joy in your work. We're to work. Paul had strong words to the Thessalonians and said, hey, we're not going to work anymore. Hey, the Lord's coming. I'll quit my job and go up and just, all right, Lord, we're ready. No. In fact, the words are, if you don't work, you're not eating. That's the Lord's word. We're to work and find joy in it. Find joy. I don't care if you're cleaning toilets. 
That's a nasty job. We're glad people do it. And if you do it, find joy in it. Sing a song to the Lord. The most meaning. Most of the work is boring, isn't it? It is. It's repetitive. Find joy in that. Work. Work. Our hands and our feet. Work with your hands. Why? So you can, you're not dependent on, one, uh, uh, on others. God wants you. We are interrelated, of course, and when there are needs, we all share in that. But uh, the God's program is do what you do and do it well and work hard at it. Industry, you'll find joy and fullness in your life, and the, and the fruit of that is you'll be able to support yourself. What? Live indoors. Isn't that nice? I was glad to be a Boy Scout, but, you know, enough of that stuff out there. I'm going indoors, you know. Live indoors, eat, provide for the needs, and, uh, and to give. The second thing, why do we work? To be able to give. Give. Look around for needs. Uh, uh, look, kind of snoop around like that. And then give. And then give anonymously. That really attests your motive, say. I give you, I want my name up in lights. You just lost a blessing in heaven. Give anonymously. Give to those that have no possibility of giving back. That's what the Lord blesses especially. We ought to do that and do that well. And give to the Lord's work, of course. That ought to be our first giving. So our hands and our feet, Lord, they're yours. And don't ever let your feet take you to places where it shouldn't be. Sometimes singles will go and hang out, singles bars and things like this and there's, there's nothing godly, I'm sure, goes on there. Be careful about that. Our feet trot us off to places where they used to say, we don't hear it anymore, but if, you, if the Lord came back, would you want to be found in that place? They used to say that a lot. I remember that as a kid, and I'm thinking, like, oh, wow, that really hits a lot of places. <laughs> That's true. You know what? We live in the shadow of, um, of Sodom. We do. We live near Sodom. I mean, the wickedness that is everywhere. And your feet can take you over here, and you're like, what am I doing here? And they ought not be there. Why? Your feet belong to the Lord. How beautiful are the feet. And we're to give our whole lives our, as instruments to the Lord. Well, it's to be living. Well, second, he said, it's to be holy. See the other side of the word sacrifice? Living sacrifice. Holy. What does that mean? It's it, 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 this is the aim and the end of the gospel. God is, didn't just save you to say, well, I'm going to fill heaven. He's going to fill heaven with, with people that he has changed and set apart and making holy. Holy. Set apart people. That's what it means to be different. Did you know that? You're different? You are. You're different. Now, sometimes we'll say that that person's odd. Don't say things like that. Actually, I think that's pride. Don't you think? We, we're trying to say we're up here, we're the Senate, and they're not quite, and they're odd. I think it's pride maybe in that. Now, having said that, there are a lot of people that are odd. <laughs> and there are people that are different. You're different. If you know Christ, you're different. God is making you different. In time, we're going to unfold St. Augustine's teaching of the city of God. You, you know, there are two groups of people in the world. And we all are intermeshed. Two groups of people. That's it. A lot of times we go like, well, nationalities and the differences, races and the differences, education and the... No, nah, none of that. None of that. That's not it. There are two groups of people. you got the city of God. They're God's people. And the city of the world, the lost. They're more lost than there are of God's people. Narrow is the way, and few be it that find it. 
and we live together. And we are different. And God is calling us out. Then one day there will be a great purging. And the wicked will no longer be interspersed among God's people. You are different. You're a peculiar people, people uh, Peter says in his epistle. And, uh, uh, and holiness is the expression of true life within you. You see, if you're saved, you can fall back into sin, but I promise you this, if you're genuinely saved, you'll never enjoy it like you once did. Never. Because you have the Spirit of God, and God is changing you. He is. Holiness and the development of holiness in your life, sanctification, is God's work in you. Paul uses... Uh, wait, you are different. Number two, you are different from the world. You're being set apart, God's city. Conversion to Christ does make us different. I was interested in reading uh, George Gallup, uh, a poll that he took a number of years ago on the differences that he wanted to ascertain in the lives of people, which he categorized as being highly spiritual uh, or those who really had a heart for God versus the general population. He found in this survey, that is George Gallup, the Gallup poll, he found that one in, a, one in eight uh, Americans fit this, this category. He found that only one in eight were, uh, had this difference. He called them a breed apart in his article. The findings, uh, and I go on to report here, show that those that were in this group that really he called highly spiritual differed from the rest of the population in at least four areas, just to magnify the differences that holiness makes in our life. Number one, he found, George Gallup, found that, that such people are more satisfied with their lot in life. I, I believe that. There's a contentment in heart and life no matter what befalls that God does in the life of his children. And it doesn't matter at what place you are. Think of Paul writing in the, in the New Testament. Much of the Roman world, they were filled with slaves. And the contentment and the peace, the recognizing that God is sovereign, and he has a part for me to play, and, and he promises to meet my need. There's a contentment. You notice that in our culture today, there's a deep lack of contentment. And even with folks that have accumulated much by the world standard, there's a, there's a lacking of the satisfaction, the contentment that, uh, that uh, Gallup here found. He found that these ones are much happier. 68% in his poll said that they're very happy compared to only 30% of those who are less committed. 68%. God's people ought to be happy. It's no wonder at uh, Dr. Kempton's uh, funeral service, uh, amid the tears and the memories, there's joy and there was even laughter. There was clapping. I've been to some funerals that there was quite a bit, quite a bit different. There was no hope. It was filled with grief and everything that goes with that in the bereavement process. But even in the worst of occasions, nearing death, death, funeral for a believer, it was a celebration. In fact, that's what Wendell called it, the celebration service, and that's really what it was. Well, for second of all, uh, those that are highly committed are different in that their families are stronger. That's what George Gallup found. The divorce rate among this group was far lower 
than the less committed. Number three, uh, this group, they tended to be more tolerant of people that were different, different uh, uh, races, nationalities, and religion. It was exactly the opposite, Gallup writes, from what the media suggests when dealing with religious people. I find that to be true. Listen, if you know your Bible, people are people. People are people. There's none of this nonsense of how, well, I'm American, I'm better, I'm thus and thus, I'm better, I'm educated, I'm better, I have this place in life, I'm better, I have a big, I'm better, I'm of, uh, of this race, I'm better. None of that. And those that really love the Lord see that's absolutely sinful. We all come from Adam, narrowed down to Noah's family, and uh, godliness is to consider everyone better than myself. That's humility. That's Christ. And he's right on that. Number four and last, he found this highly spiritual group, the one in eight. They're more involved in giving charitable activities far more than their uh, non-religious counterparts. So we're different, aren't we? Well, the requests, the reasoning, the response, finally the results. As we do this, what? As we offer our body, every part, our members to the Lord. As we do this, the outcome, I say to you, is rather shocking. It is to me. It's shocking. Look what the text says after the word holy. Uh, living sacrifices, holy, and here's the word, pleasing to God. Hey, God is pleased when you give your whole life to him. I say it's, it's shocking. It, and, 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 and it is to me. Um, when Jesus was baptized, God the Father said from heaven, you remember that in John 1? This is my beloved son of whom I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased. Well, we all all know that the Father was well pleased with the Son. We all know that. And, uh, I mean, he was without sin. He did the Father's will completely. He drank the cup. Father, remove this cup. He drank the cup right down to the very dregs, all of it. And so we go like, yeah, we understand that. Do you know it's the same word that's used? It's the same word. Uh, it's hard to imagine, and this is the shocking part to me, that anything that I might do, that you might do, uh, would evoke that kind of response from God. It's like God's in heaven. He's talking to the, to the Father, talking to the Son, or talking to the angels, or talking to the saints who are now in glory. And uh, he looks down and says, and when he sees the offering of our bodies to the Lord, he goes, now that I'm well pleased with. I don't know, that, that, that picture just shocks me. Because I know what I am, and, and you know what you are. <laughs> we know it's all of God, and we just give it back. It's our reasonable service. It's only logical that we do that. He bought us. He owns us. He's changing us. And before we go, okay, Lord, here I am. And the Lord said, that pleases me. And some of you had fathers that, uh, you know, isn't it we try to please our parents and please our dads? And some of us... Our dads were really stingy. Some of you didn't know your dads. I realize that. Sometimes it's deep heartache when they talk about this. And even, I find even uh, the pleasing of parents, even after they die, if they didn't get the blessing from the parents, the children, there's an ache in the heart. You know, you always, you always want that, right? Don't we? I mean, we may be rabble-rousers and getting caught up and do goofy stuff and all that. But at the end of the day, we want our parents to pat us on the head and say, you know, we love you. You please me. Don't we? I do. I did some half-goofy stuff, but uh, 
We want that. Well, we may not get that from our earthly fathers, but God is telling us here, from our heavenly Father, you know what? That pleases me. I heard a sermon when I was uh, in high school. I had uh, known the Lord since I was seven, and in my junior year, I got caught up in things I, I, I'm ashamed to say, and God wonderfully uh, forgave me and dealt with me and in some wonderful ways brought me even to this point here today. And, and there was at the uh, end of a sermon I heard, right at the time when God was really under, had me under conviction and was just bringing me back to where I needed to be, um, I heard a sermon on this. You know, how many of you would be willing to give, even begin today to give your life afresh to the Lord? Forget yesterday. Can't change it. Begin today. And I was so under conviction. I was sitting, we had a balcony. I was sitting way in the back of the balcony. My mother was way down in front somewhere. And, and, uh, and that day they gave an invitation during a song and, and uh, come down and stand here. Well, well, I couldn't sit there. I came from the balcony down the stairway down to the front, and I said to the pastor in front, they were singing, the congregation, I said, you know, I, I've lived a way that I shouldn't be living. I know, I know it's wrong, and I, I want to confess that to the Lord, and uh, I want to promise the Lord I'm giving my whole life to him right at this point. And uh, I don't know what that means, but I want to ask my church family to pray for me. I really, really want that. And you know what? I'm so thankful for that. That was a major turning point in my life. I was headed in a different direction, and God sent me in another direction for schooling and his lettuce. And I met Faithy. And uh, our wedding, I wish I could take you back to that, uh, because there in the city of Philadelphia in 76, our wedding was such, it was like a dedication service to the Lord. My father had built an arbor, a white arbor, and there were flowers in that. Faith and I kneeled, our, knelt uh, under that, and uh, we had sung, you, you know the old song, Here's My Life, I lay it on the altar, Here's My Life. And we had the words changed to Here's Our Life. We, Faith and I, beginning at that point, May 15, 1976, Lord, we give our life to you. In essence, I'm saying that that's what God wants from each one of us, from you, today. It doesn't matter your past. God will forgive you and cleanse you. It'll affect everything you do today and the rest of your life. We all impact each other, our children and grandchildren. I'm saying that this is what you and I need to do in view of the gospel. That's what he is saying. Well, lessons for our life, and we'll be done. Number, number one. If you're a Christian, if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you have no business living for yourself. None. None. You know, the real reason that you attempt to do that is that you really don't believe God. It's your lack of belief. You don't trust Him. You say, Lord, if I really do that, what's going to happen? And in that, you're disguising the fact that you really don't believe. You don't trust Him. I'm saying you need the Lord, you need to ask the Lord, expunge that unbelief out of my heart. It's the only way to live. You have no business living to yourself. Your desires, your ambition should all be the Lord. Submit those to the Lord, every one of them. Number two, 
Because of God's unimaginable gift to us, salvation, we must respond to Him with our lives. It's only logical, it's only reasonable. And God calls us through Paul's pen to do just that. Number three, by offering your body, your life to the Lord, you'll be enabled to live for Him and for others. You will. We saw, I, I don't want to overdo it, but with Dr. Kempton, the uh, in, incomparable, I'll say, uh, life that God took, that Iowa a uh, Sailorville uh, 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 boy and saved him when he was 19 and caused the grace of God to flow through him that he touched hundreds and thousands upon thousands of people. That's the grace of God by offering his body. If he had never offered himself to the Lord and if you and I refuse, continue to, ref to refuse to do so, we'll never we will never be able to wholly uh, be able to live for him or to be a blessing to the people God wants us to be a blessing to. Never. Number four, how do I, let me urge you, daily. How, so how do you do that? Daily do that. I do that daily in my prayer time, in the early morning hours. Lord, I give my life to you today. I have a schedule, an appointment calendar, but you keep all of that. You can superintend at any point. Use my feet, my eyes, my hands. I oftentimes will go through and recite body parts. Lord, I surrender them to you. And I do that uh, today. Use me, Lord, as a living sacrifice. That's in view of God's mercy. That's what he's saying, that you ought to do. You ought to do that. And last, number five, I'm reminded you cannot offer your body, your life to the Lord without being a believer. Maybe you're here and you're not saved. You don't know what that means. You don't have any idea. You're still battling sin and lost. And, uh, and you can be a believer today. If you say, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you, Lord, as my Lord and as my Savior, my Creator, my Redeemer. Thank you for dying for me. If I can be of any help in that, I want to be that. I'd like to ask you all to just bow your head and close your eyes. You know, I made mention about uh, a time when I was in high school. And uh, the, in that day, there was the altar call given and all of that. We're not going to do that today, but uh, as you think about your life, do you know the Lord? How many of you know the Lord? Keep your heads bowed. Raise your hand. Do you know the Lord for sure as your Savior? Lord bless you. Oh, hands all over. How about that? Would, would you join me today in saying, Lord, I want to offer my body, my life to you today. Raise your hand if you make that commitment. The Lord sees. I offer my heart, my life, my all. The Lord bless you. God bless so many, many hands. Thank you so much. 